This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast on a Tuesday, February 6th. This is a landmark podcast, number 160. I love those uh, those even numbers, uh, those square numbers. It's, of course, brought to you by Bet River Special Podcast because we're going to have an interview with John Marks, who, uh, who recently left his position as drive-time host of WIP. Of course, J- John started with me, my first producer. When I came back to Philly, you worked for WPEN, which was an AM station that turned into an FM station. And so we'll go uh, over the history of, of our association where he became uh, actually my opponent uh, in Evening Drive uh, after being my producer for many years. Uh, but let's start off with your 76ers. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have so many thoughts on this. First of all, MB got surgery today. Now, let me just tell you that the, this meniscus surgery is something that I've had. So I'm familiar with it. The meniscus is kind of a buffer inside. And when you have a little tear, the tear comes outside the capsule of the knee and it irritates the nerves. And so they have to go in and what they do is they clip that tear off to make it even again. And that's what I thought he had. And they were saying that, uh, you know, there would be something more serious than that. I didn't think it was anything more serious than that. It's just four to six week injury is what it is. Now, um, here's the thing about this. Um, he can come back by the playoffs, I believe. Now, you'll, you'll, you'll be getting a lot more medical information that comes out about the surgery. I believe it's a, a six weeks at most. Uh, but will the Sixers want him to come back? And this is the big issue. Because I'm thinking that the Sixers at this point might say, you know what, next year's going to be a better year for us. We're going to have like $50 million in cap space. Why don't we just shut it down? Because in retro, we were, we were probably not going to be good enough to win anyway. And here's the reason why. You can't win. This team can't win unless Embiid is at his best. And I think that we have seen that. And in a minute, I'm going to rip Daryl Morey because of this. So technically, he should be back for the playoff hunt. But A, how effective would he be? B, what kind of shape will he be in after being idle for six weeks? We've seen that picture before. Um, C, if he comes back, even if he comes back, would that be a good enough team that could get past the second round and get to the Eastern Conference Finals and get to the uh, NBA Finals. I think that maybe 3% of the people would believe that they would be good enough to do that. Um, So the Sixers, I think, management, coaching staff, deep down inside knows that that's probably not going to happen, and they're better off to pass it off to next year. The trade deadline is coming up in a couple of days. The Sixers 
have to make a value judgment here because they can move Tobias Harris. If they move Tobias Harris, they are telling the fan base that we're done for the season. But he's going to walk at the end of the year, and you're going to get nothing for him anyway except that excess cap space. So the wheels are turning with the Sixers right now. And if you're going to ask me, I go, they're not good enough anyway. Why wouldn't I trade Tobias Harris and let my fans have to bite another bullet? Or they might say, these fans have bitten enough bullets. Let's con them into thinking that we can make a run at this and we'll keep Tobias and we'll wait for Embiid to come back. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But here's what I know about the Sixers and Daryl Morey. They're not good enough. And why aren't they good enough? Because in retrospect, Daryl Morey, while everybody was saying he made his team deeper on the bench, didn't really make his team deeper. Why? Because he loaded up on pieces that don't make a difference. Older, broken down role players that you can see now don't make a difference. Look at this team. The veteran depth on this team can't play more than three games without getting injured. Let's just go through the list. Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Melton, Batum. These guys are injured every other week. These are older players now. They've got a lot of mileage on the odometer. They're in their 30s now. What do you expect to get from these guys? They have guys like Daniel House. Come on, man. What kind of difference is Daniel House going to make? Jaden Springer. This kid they've been talking about for four years. He can't play. Well, he's going to be a good defensive player. Well, that's what you had in thigh ball. And it wasn't good enough because he couldn't make a basket. So what good is Jaden Springer? It's been four years now. Patrick Beverly? Come on. Uh, I mean, listen. Okay, he has some moments. He's been passed around the league like sweat socks. And Kelly Oubre. He started off really well, right? He conned people into thinking, but he's not a winning player. All these guys that you look at have not come from winning teams. Paul Reed. What do you see in Paul Reed? Mo Bamba. What do you see in him? K.J. Martin. And there's still Corkmas on that bench. These are veteran players that you look at and go, well, yeah, they look a little deeper, but they don't make any kind of a difference. And this is why the front office is the front office. You have to anticipate, instead of just tacking on players, you have to anticipate what pieces will fit and what benefit that they will give your team. It's easy to go out and say, well, I just got Marcus Morris. He's a good veteran. I just got Covington and Melton and House and Patrick Beverly. But what difference do they make? They don't. So in the aggregate, are we going to sit here and say, geez, if MB comes back, he's going to make this team good enough to win in the playoffs. And I just don't see it. I'm sorry. And as bad as it is to put the fan base through another gap year, to me, that's the only solution. And I would not be shocked if they milk this MB injury out for a really long period of time and then they say, well, you know what? We just decided that he, he can't go, and we'd rather have him healthy for next year because we have great prospects for next year. We can do some things next year. Now, where does that put Tobias Harris? I don't know. 
that means Tobias Harris is probably going to have to stay because you're not going to make that decision on Embiid right now. You're going to have to milk that out for several weeks. So you can't tell your fan base now that you're punting. You got to say, yeah, maybe B come back and Tobias Harris is still going to be here. And then in the end, the fan base is going to say, or they're going to say to the fan base, "Ah, you know why it just didn't work out. And they do that a lot. They take the liberties with the fan base all the time that way. Darren, you just heard my soliloquy on the Sixers. And I ripped Daryl Morey. Yes, I did. Because Daryl Morey has not made a big enough difference as the general manager of this team. He and Elton Brand have to share the responsibility for these constant failures to the point where you're going to have a great player and you're not going to be able to build enough around him to win something with that great player. And that's the reality of it. How much can this fan base take? I mean, really. I, I, I root for the Sixers. I'm not a diehard hoop head like I am with the Eagles or the Phillies. But I feel bad for the diehard Sixer fans. Talking about another gap year. You know, they got to redo the bench again because you're right. They're all old. Maury gets you're ripping Maury, and that's good. I don't think he's gotten half the heat that he should. I mean, honestly, he hasn't really made any great moves. He the thing about him, he buys time because at the beginning of this year, I and I was skeptical of it. Believe me, I've followed the NBA for a really long time. You don't load up on older players and expect they're going to make a difference for you. Yeah, the names look better than what you've had in the past. Right, you look at the now. Oh, Covington! Oh, Covington hasn't played well in this league for three years. He's broken down. Marcus Morris yeah. has been with seventy-four teams. What is he going to do for you? Uh, Patrick Beverly. Well, look, what are these guys actually going to do for you? Well, on paper, it looks like wow, man, it's better than what we had, but it really isn't. So the only thing that stops me here is that early in the season they were playing well together when they had Embiid and Maxi and the whole bit. And and that's it's fallen off a cliff at this point. Last night, a Dallas Luka Doncic didn't even want to play last night. He took 15 shots. Kyrie didn't even want to play. You know why? Because they played at Nets tonight. And Kyrie's going back to Brooklyn. And so they're saving all their energy for this game. And they they beat that six team half ass. Last night. Yeah, six ro- losses in a row. And their next week or two doesn't look very easy either. By the way, I took the, the Mavericks on the money line on the Bet Rivers app. So there you go. All right, let's move on from the Sixers. I got that off my chest. I, listen, if you don't agree, that's fine. You can you can email me, Mike at MikeMiss.com. Uh, I, I look at the reality of situations instead of getting involved in fandom. I mean, there are people out there that are saying, well, look, they got some depth. I mean, you know, Reed, look at Reed. He's pro- Reed's not promising. Paul Reed doesn't know how to play. He still doesn't know how to play. Mo Bamba, they got a seven foot one guy. He, I don't understand what he thinks the NBA is. You know, he came into the league and everybody had some high hopes for him. He, he, he doesn't play. He doesn't play hard. Like, what is he? What is Patrick Beverly at this point? I mean, it gets me, it gets me ill. All right, let's move on. The Eagles. They announced that they will open their season on a Friday night in Brazil. In Sao Paulo, Antonio, Brazil, or Sao Paulo, Brazil, game one, which means they lose a home game, but they play in Brazil. 
And I'm thinking, how many Eagle fans will make that trek to Brazil? Probably a lot, right? I, you know, the, the Eagle Eagles fans really in Brazil. How do you think that's going to work you know, out? This there? isn't. Uh, it's not as easy to get to Brazil as it is Miami. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a country. Uh, the Philly sports oh, trips. Of course they Philly will. sports trips will probably have the Brazil trip for Eagle fans. Of course they will. Eagle and fans let loose like, in Sao Paulo, you know, Brazil. There's a little danger going down to Brazil. You know, it's a bit of a, there's a hint of danger. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then they'll be going walking down the street. Una cerveza. Oh, not knowing that the, the language is in Spanish in Brazil. It's Portuguese. In Brazilian jail. Records. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. You might not get out of those Brazilian jails. You better watch yourself out there. All right. So, so Sao Paulo will cover be covering the Eagles in Sao Paulo, Brazil. <laughs> Just like tremendous. Uh, all right. There you go. That's that's the Eagles. It's the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, today we have a special guest on the Mike Missinelli podcast. I mean. This guy and I go back a long way uh, as a colleague, also as an opponent, uh, up against each other. And, of course, he is the great John Marks joining us today. Johnny, how you doing? And I go all the way back to the morning sports page with you. <laughs> yes, you and do. And the great sports well, debate. And M.G. Missinelli with the Inquirer. I've been a long time admiring <laughs> that, that you, Mike. correct. These are great. People love these stories because uh, when they trace our history. You know, when I've had Angelo on, they love us going back in time and how this whole thing transpired. But first of all, let me ask you, how, how is retirement? It's lonely, Mike. It's lonely. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't have the benefits of, of uh, retirement or unemployment benefits. I just uh, I have I have uh, actually just got my last uh, my last check from Odyssey, which was the bonus for for last quarter. So I'm officially not making any more money from uh from Odyssey. So things have been great until now where I'm, come next Friday, there's no direct deposit coming to my account. Yeah. I, I've, I've felt that in various stages of my life. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> well, you'll, you'll get through it. And, and I'm sure, uh, and, and, listen, I, I don't think that you're, you're this is going to be the end for you in this business, but so uh, people really would love to know what went into this decision? Because a lot of people don't understand it, especially people that are in the media. They go, how do you give up a cushy job like that where you're on top of the world and, and everybody aspires to get to that point and you just walk away uh, from it? So from your perspective, what went into the decision? Uh, Mike, I'm a simple man. And it just had gotten to a point where I was unhappy, not necessarily with the job, but my quality of life. I live in Collegeville. I'm driving anywhere from two to two and a half hours a day to get to work, not getting home, Noel. You work afternoon drive for virtually your entire career, so you're good with the hours. Your your daughter was older, um, but, it, I mean, it just got – And I and I was five minutes from the stage. Right, yeah. So. You, you went down City Line Avenue, and you were at home, right? So, man, like it just got – it got to a point where – my last contract negotiation and kind of where they came in, I was just like, man, like I'm not like I can make this money doing something else with a better quality of life. And I was, I was compensated. Well, I, um, you know, I just had my best financial year last year. It was the best I've done professionally and financially. And to walk away from it is I think difficult for people to understand. Like, how can you do that? You're talking about sports. I don't know. I just felt like doing something different. And it was, 
it was a quality of life issue. It really was. Um, I just wasn't happy. I missed, I missed seeing my kids. Like Mike, my, my, my kids are now old enough to where they're playing sports year round and I can see them all the weekends and that's fine. But basketball right now, basketball, missing practice, missing games, softball, missing practice, missing games, missing dinner every night. My daughter's two, my youngest is two. She's just now like, she was asleep every night before I came home for work. She was in bed at seven o'clock every night. I just feel like, like, could I have done it another year? Yeah, I could have done it another year, maybe another two years. But when looked at, the show deserved a long-term commitment from me, and I just couldn't do it. So, I mean, it's... Well, you know what? It, it's, it's, it's really noble that, that went into the decision. Um, and, and people can't question that at all. Uh, but were you also... Were, were you at any point getting tired of talking about sports? Yes. Of course, you know this. <laughs> We've had we've had these conversations. We're both sports fans, right? But we're all sports fans. Talking about it for 20 hours a week, and then I'm doing a, a, a weekend show on, on CBS Sports Radio. So I'm doing 24 hours of sports talk a week. You know, like I'm not pouring concrete, I'm not working up on a roof, but you, like you almost get in it, you almost get in a mode where you're going through the motions. You know, you have the Eagle season and then the Eagle season's over and then you have the Super Bowl and then you head into the draft and then you have spring training and then you have the dog days of summer where you're waiting for the Eagle season to start again. And it becomes almost robotic. So as much of a sports fan as I am, yeah, you kind of get bored and it, it, it's a grind, man. You know, you, you did this longer than I have. Doing sports radio five days a week is a grind. And frankly, it's nice not doing it right now. You know, you're right about that. The thing that kept me going was the interaction with callers. As you know, I used to get take great joy in, in messing with callers, and that kept me not bored. Like, the, the sports part of it did get tedious after a while because you go, you don't care as much anymore yeah. about the result. It, you know, it takes a lot of years to get to that point. But I, I, I miss that, that interaction of, of arguing with people. That's the thing that I most missed about it. And I'm wondering if you're going to go through that. I'm going through it right now. Um, it, it, there's, there's things you miss about the job. I miss, I miss going into the studio, uh, despite the travel. I miss actually going into the studio. You miss working with the guys. You miss seeing them every day. I miss Ike. I miss Jack. Uh, and I, I miss the interaction, especially when, when there's a, you know that you go in, Mike, and it's like, this is going to be a good day. There's stuff to talk about today. I'm going to piss people off today with what I say. I'm going to mess it. You know, like those days, those are the days that you miss because you know you're going to come in and you're going to have fun. And they're, yeah, they're the days you miss. And I, I, more than anything, I miss the interaction with the audience for sure. And, and, and let me give you a, a, a recent example of that. The Eagles collapse and the way Sirianni handled it. I was itching to get on the air <laughs> like to, to talk about that and mess that whole situation up. Those are the days that are the hardest when something like that happens, when you know, you're going to have a visceral reaction. Yeah. I, I actually, I was happy that I didn't have to deal with that. I think it was too fresh to where I was so exhausted with the Eagle season. I was actually glad that I didn't have to deal with the end of that season. But, but to your point, the, the big stories that happen, people for, for decades with you, Mike, they turn to you because they want to know what you have to say about what happened in Philly sports and you become accustomed to it. And when you don't have that anymore, now it's like, well, who's listening to you? And you have your podcast and I'm doing stuff on YouTube now, but it's different. It's different because they knew at two o'clock every day they could turn on 97.5 The Fanatic or they could turn on WIP and they're going to hear what we have to say about it. All right, let's go back in time a little bit because this is how we first crossed paths. 
Now, uh, WPEN here. I was working in New York at the time. 10.50. And I I was working the show with Stephen A. Smith up in New York. After that thing happened at WIP, where I kind of lost my job for a couple of years, and I'm trying to resuscitate my career, so I go up to New York. And you appear at Shea Stadium with Meredith Morakovitz, (laughs) because I bet WPEN had just started doing sports talk radio. Is that the way it worked? October of 2005, they flipped from oldies to sports talk. And I joined right around the, the beginning of, of time there. So this is probably. So you're produced in the morning show. Correct. All right. So, so, so I'm at Shea Stadium. I guess they're playing the Phillies. That's why you were there. And, and you introduced yourself to me with Meredith Brockovitz. And, and, and from that point on, you kept me viable in Philly by having me as a guest on that show. I'm commuting to New York every day. I remember talking to you guys most of the time from the 30th on Street the train, Station yeah. before I got on the yeah. train. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I mean, like, so I, I, I booked you and, and I, was, I was working, I was producing the morning show. And you have to realize at the time before Mike came to 950, there was very few people that listened to the station. Uh, Jody was on three to seven. They had national morning shows, and I forget we had a more like a, a, a local morning show, but for the most part, the station wasn't viable. Uh, so I was looking for it for for anything. I was looking for for any good guests. I was looking to make you know make my place in the business, and I was also um, trying to get you to the station. And Matt Nahagan, who became the program director in two thousand and six or two thousand and seven, first call I had with him, and I said, Mike Missanelli is the only person you can hire. He's the only person that can do anything for this station. There's nobody else in the market. And Matt realized that and he, he went after you for a while. But part of bringing you on the show was to, you know, to try to get you back to Philly because I realized you were the kind of the ticket to making us, to making the station. I, I thought we were going go to go to Spanish sports or something like that. I couldn't believe the station survived. <laughs> Thank God you were, because I remember the year before I thought you were coming and it didn't happen. And I was disappointed. But then in April in 2008, I remember they they pulled some people, the midday show at the time, they pulled him in the office and they let him go. And it's like, and Matt looked at me and said, don't worry, good things are happening. And I said, oh my God, it's Missinelli. And I, I, I think I texted you and I said, no, is this happening? And you were coy in your response, but I knew it. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember. So so let me get this straight. So you were, you were listening to us growing up. Yes, because you know we, there was there was stage one of Sports Talk Radio, which started in 1990 with Angela going over. Then we all came over, and that was Sports Talk Radio. That did that influence you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so my so first my show with Steve was was an influence. So I, I was on I was on they, they do a, a show on Fox. Uh, Jason Martinez, not Martinez, Jason Martinez and and Breland. They do a show on Fox at 11:30 at night, and they throw these questions at you at the end of the show, and he's like favorite WIP show. And I'm like, Oh, Steve and Mike. And knowing that he's like, Oh, okay. Like didn't know who it was, but that, I mean, that was <laughs> the perfect show. That was a great show. The Steve and Mike, show. I have a keychain upstairs. I got to go get it. I have a Steve and Mike keychain. Oh my God. That's a, re- that's a relic. So I remember, we'll keep that. I remember morning sports page where you used to come on at nine o'clock. Brookie would leave at nine. You would come on. I think Sal would come on. Stark would come on. Al would come on. Mac now would come on. Yeah. We would all come on for an hour because Brookshire did not want to do four hours. Right. So he, he wanted that last hour off and he just tossed it to well, us. I wanted him off too. Cause you guys were much better coming on at nine o'clock, but that, <laughs> I mean, and that was really between that and the great sports debate that was all happening at the same time. Right. And then you guys were appearing on the great sports debate. 
Yeah. You were wearing the members only jacket on the great sports debate. Looking fly. <laughs> I never, I dressed well on that show, man. I put those guys to shame. I know you did. I used to get my clothes at Ira Lish, which was like on North Fifth Street where the first WIP studio was. Oh, uh, you pulled it off. Uh, but anyway, we, so we get, so I come down here and I didn't really know anything about the station. Um, I, you know, it was good to be back in Philly and resuscitate my whole career back in Philly because it was obviously my roots. And I stepped into the studio. It was like a little box studio. You were in the, in the control room, and it was it was kind of nicer. But there was a window that was askew, so I could barely yeah. see you as my producer. And I'm going, what in the hell have I done with this station? And, and your your studio was horrendous. It was it was like from the it was from a the box. 60s. It was, a, it was literally a box. It was like a prison. And Jody would some so, Jody would sometimes leave his dentures on the on the on the one spot in the studio before you <laughs> a couple times. Jody wasn't happy that I came. Well, listen, he, J- Jody was like, "I listen, I had nothing to do." They said, "Do evening drive." Okay, okay. I, I, I didn't know I was displacing Jody. He went moved to midday. Jody didn't talk to me for like a year. Well, listen, uh, but but to, to your point, the studios were terrible. The station. I was I was thinking about this today because we were we started April. It, was, it wasn't an April Fool's joke. We start, started April first, right? That was your first day, and yeah, and 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 what people need to know about that that about nine fifty, the signal was terrible. So I didn't really yeah. learn that until later. It was probably October when you had where you you turned the clocks back and it got darker earlier, and we had people calling being like. I can't get the station. There's something wrong with your station. There's something wrong with your station. What I didn't know at the time was when it got dark, they had to power the station down. So people that were listening to us for six months now on the same drive home lost us like when they went over the Walt Whitman Bridge and couldn't hear the show. So not only were we on a station that nobody listened to before, now we, we lost our signal like half of our audience. Mike, it's a miracle, and it's probably the biggest accomplishment in Philadelphia radio history that you were able to beat WIP in a year on that crappy signal like we did. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we we, we got the number one slot in a year, uh, which we, and we I remember we were celebrating, popping champagne and, and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, we, the, the, sta- the station then grew, and we were the first station to go FM. So it was a big deal. And then we, we really caught a lot of momentum. And so you're the producer of this show. And uh, so what stands out to you about this show? You you were the guy who booked Skip Bayless, correct? Yes. Okay, so you booked Skip Bayless. And you know that I'm fired up about what he said about Philadelphia. And so basically, you're, you're telling him to come on as a guest. And he's not expecting the avalanche that's going to come his way, right? Correct. I don't know <laughs> if I expect it. Do you remember what he said when he came on? You were talking about trading for Anquan Bolden, or a, a caller was saying to trade for Anquan Bolden. So you bring on Skip, and Skip goes, oh, I trade for Anquan Bolden, too. And you go, yeah, Skip, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> and then you just went, tore into him. And he just woke up from a nap, too. That was the other thing. Like, he set his alarm. He was sleeping. And then, you know, he probably said it five minutes before I called him. Or we woke him up and we called him. And then, and then you're waiting on the other end of the phone. When you had to stay in character to be polite to him to come on the show and it's going to be a nice interview. And I'm just, 
I'm just sharpening the knives because that guy pissed me off to the point where I, I, you know, I was just livid about it that he had these old stereotypes of Philadelphia fans, and I slid into them, and there comes the famous Google me. Yep. It comes out of that interview. It'll live forever. Yeah, because he goes, I, well, who? I don't even know who you are. Who are you? And I go, it doesn't matter who I am. Google me. <laughs> and that became the soundbite for the age. And he, at the time, he, it was still cold pizza. It wasn't even a first take. So he was on, I remember you saying like, you can bring me on with the two live stews. And he goes, yeah. and, he, and he said, he said, you are not worthy of coming on my show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. It was, it was great. I, I, I loved the, the contention. I actually was livid about it and he, he didn't expect it to happen, but uh, yeah, I mean, that lives in infamy, I guess, in, in Philadelphia talk, because that soundbite was played forever. Well, and he was, talk- he was uh, talking uh, about, he was talking about, it was a Dallas-Philly thing, and like they were like, I don't I forget what it was, there was like Dallas travel groups that were saying, don't go to Philadelphia because you're, you know, yeah. you're and he was saying that people are scared for their life and everything else, so. Yeah, he he had some kind of story about how he was treated at Veteran Stadium in like 1985 or whatever whatever it was. So so in any event, one of the things I uh, I started to do was was to bring producers in as feedback, and I I did that with you because you you were good at that, and and it, it, like. It's funny because all my producers leave me for greater heights, but I kind of I wanted to do that with producers. It was like I was raised where the producer didn't say anything. Right. And Darren, who produces this show, can attest to that working under Bigby. Producers were like forgotten to just just push buttons and don't do anything. But I but I needed the, the feedback because I, I, I a lot of time used you as a foil and I was I was tough on you. And and uh so have at it now. This is your chance to get back at me for, be, for being tough on you all those years. No, I mean, I, I, I had said this recently uh, on my YouTube show, which is uh, every, every Monday through Friday at 9 p.m. You can subscribe at John Marks Media. That's the handle also on Instagram and, and Twitter. But I, I talked about this last week. I actually, I, we, were, we were talking about it last week. I said, I got to have Mike on the show. And people were saying, yeah, bring Mike on, bring Mike on. But working... Working with you, you were the playing off of you was the easiest job that I've ever had in broadcasting. Dealing with everything else with you, I'm not going to tell you is the easiest job in broadcasting. <laughs> but on the air for four hours, I feel like that, and I don't want to take anything away from what Ike and I, I did and Jack did because we had a great amount of success and I love the show. But it, kind of where I was in the career and like not knowing any better and just being like, it was the most fun I had knowing like, you know, F them, you know, we're going to, we're going to beat them. I, I remember when, I remember when you would never, when, when Glenn McNall did some podcast and they asked him about the, Oh, well, there's two sports radio stations in Philadelphia. And he goes, I don't think that there are two sports radio stations in Philadelphia. And we use yeah. that cut over and over and over again on the air. Yeah. And he got so mad. He called in one day. You, what, what did you call Mr. Smug? You go, let's hear from Mr. Smug. Mr. Smug, I used the to ratings call. are in. Let's hear from Mr. Smug, and then I would play. Yeah. I don't think that there are two sports radio stations. Yeah, but- yeah. He he was on his high mighty horse that like, WPM was never going to compete with WPM. So he calls he calls in on the regular line, and I'm trying to get him. On, I'm trying to trick him to get him on the air with you, without him knowing it. So because he's being like, he's killing me. Why is he killing me? I'm like, hang on a second. I'll get him for you. I'll get him for you. And then he hung up, and we tried to get him on the air, but like those. I worked with you for four years. You are, you don't mind being the bad guy. A lot of times, um, you know exactly what you're doing as far as setting other people up 
And you like, like I said, on the air for four hours every day, I knew that we created gold. You did it with Jason. It was, it was a really fun show. And because we created gold, you get, you get poached. And all of a sudden, you get your, your, your own show. Now, was the transition, was that the brace transition? No. Because you then had several, several capacities at the station. I went to nights, including- I, I went to nights for, for a couple of months. And then Tony and Harry, like Tony was being Tony. So they were like, all right, we got to try to make a move. So they brought me on. I worked two hours with Tony and two hours with Baldy, which you can imagine. Forget about like, I, I love, oh, man. I like both of those guys. So working two separate shows for two hours each sucked. All right. So I did that for a year. Yeah, I don't even remember that. Yeah. They, were, they, they, they split the show into two, two, two hour segments. Harry used to do two hours with Tony and two hours with Baldy. And then they oh, moved Harry okay. to nights, and then I worked two hours with, I think it was Tony first and then Baldy. Um, so I did that. And then after a year of that, that's when I did Sean Brace. And again, that was only a two-hour show, which is like you get on the air and you're pretty much off the air after two hours. So, yeah, so I worked with Sean for a couple of years after that. Yeah, you worked with Sean. And then uh, did you work with Anthony when he came? I worked with Anthony for 18 months. And in the morning, yes, right in mornings, yes. So, so the original, yeah. the original morning show when Anthony came over was MCW, Jamie Lynch, me, and uh, me and the Cuz. Okay, all right. Now, I, I, but then you make the bold move to leave the station, and uh, I'm going, oh my god, what a traitor! He go, he goes over to the enemy that we beat. Now, what, what went into that decision? Because you went there to do nights, right? Yeah, I went there to do nights, and I, honestly, I, I went there, and I remember you saying to me, "Here, you're going." I'm here because after I, I told them I was I was leaving, I was still on the air, like it wasn't public knowledge until Mertidis leaked it to Crossing Broad, and then I, and they got rid of me pretty much right away. But um, yeah, I I um I remember you saying like, are "You sure you really want to go over there?" Because at the time they were coming off of Andy Bloom, and like WIP wasn't a great place to work, and Spike had just taken over. Um, I, I mean, honestly, it, it like I felt like that I, I had I had hit my I, I plateaued at um, at the Fanatic. And like, where did I go from there? I was working with Anthony. He was it was his show. You know, I was the number two Mike, but it was his show. And it's like I just wanted more. And I felt like that unless I gave myself another challenge that I was just kind of sit there and I was going to be I was well liked by everybody. I knew everybody in the company had worked there for for 12 years. And I felt like that if I didn't challenge myself and try to do something different, that I was just kind of always going to be there and like make money and, you know, have a good life or whatever. But is that what I wanted out of my broadcasting career? And it wasn't. Well, you made the right move, obviously, because you, you became a big star over there. You brought up Andy Bloom. And that's an interesting name because he was a program director that was kind of hated. And he he would, you know, he he. He, of course, was behind the DeBella Stern thing way back in the day. So he he had that old radio mindset to destroy the other. And so he didn't give us much respect. So I remember when we beat them in that year, I did probably like one of the most obnoxious things ever. I I sent them a, a funeral wreath. <laughs> a stand-up stand funeral wreath. <laughs> and it, it came in. I remember Natalie Agadoff said she was the receptionist there. And, it, and the thing came in. It was like our, our, our sympathies. Uh, well, so, and he, yeah, and he was, went berserk. Yeah. Didn't he? He, he yeah, was not emailing you threats and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Bloom started emailing me threats. 
I, I, you know, it was all about asking. Because we, 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 we took him out. He's the guy that we took out. Uh, all right. So um, how do you feel about the state of sports talk radio today? I, I, because I, I think there have been two stages. And the stage that we created way back in the day has kind of changed. And and now it's I think it's more fan oriented. Like WIP, they get an, an eagle in, in, in every show, which guarantees acceptance from the people. You put an eagle on the air, that guarantees acceptance. And I think the industry has changed more to being a fan than being more analytical. Do you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look at look at all the, the first generation of WIP. All of you guys were respected journalists, right? Glenn, you, Angelo. Um, now with this kind of new wave, we don't have that, right? Like I'm, I was, I started out in radio. I've been in radio. I never, I can barely write at all. Right. So you look at everybody that's there, the camera's a, a radio guy. Uh, Joe Giglio's a radio guy. He's, he's writ, wrote a little bit, but like we came up as, as radio people. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because it like, I always, people always add, like, always ask like, well, you know, do you, you guys make up your takes or like, do you believe everything you say? And like, of course, you, of course you don't, right? Like you're, you're just like with first take and just like with all those different shows, uh, like there's, there's days where you are taking a, like you always used to say, oh, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this. Like it's your place to play a certain side of things, right? So you almost make yourself believe these things. But by the time I was done working at WIP, I didn't even know what I believed or what I said or whatever. Like you're just trying to get through the days and just trying to get through the weeks. But, um, you know, like, man, like what, what what WIP became such a monster, and I, I when I left when I left the fanatic, it was pretty close, right? Like you were obviously winning your day part. Anthony yeah. was was uh, went went down a little bit since initially challenging Angelo, but I think the best thing that WIP does is they utilize the Eagles and the Phillies to their utmost advantage. They're almost impossible to beat just having those two franchises. Yeah, I mean, they're the teams that run the whole thing. So if you have the rights to that, you're always going to have an edge. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that. But, you know, the days I see producers, like you went through a lot of hoops to get to where you are. And, you you know, a lot of years spent, just like uh, all of us in newspapers, to get the shot on radio, we had to go through that newspaper route. Now, you know, you know, kids come in and they produce and they want to get on the air right away. And most of the time they do. Yeah, it's it's on. And I feel responsible for creating that, and I guess I have to have to uh, blame you as well, since you kind of set the template for me and the Mertitas and and Sean. We forget Sean Brace was your producer too. For Sean was my producer uh, a- after you, right? Yes. Yeah, and then he went to and then he went to nights the for a while, and then Jason, and then he took a show with Harry. So like. I- I've had to replace producers the, the whole time there, but I always thought like Stern made that popular with the Baba Booey, right? He would use Baba Booey as a foil. And so a producer of the show. So that's, I kind of thought that's how it should be. Cause we were talking, we're not talking strictly about sports. We're talking about life right. issues and, and arguments that go back and forth are entertaining to listen to. That's the way I always look. Yeah. It. And, and, and I grew up as a huge Stern fan and you, I, you could definitely tell the influence in how you saw how a show should be done. And yeah, like the, but, but you're right. It's not just the producer on a main day part that's talking anymore. If you tune in the WIP on a weekend, you hear the producer chatting on the air, which is uh, 
somewhat surprising, I guess, at some point. But it's like, I guess it's kind of where it is right now. Yeah. Um, listen, man, I, I got to ask you this question because you're laying low now. You know, you'll probably get the itch to come back. I mean, I don't know where, where these months will take you. Maybe some great opportunity to come your way and you'll forget all about this industry. Uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of people, would you come back to Sports Talk Radio in this thing? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, there's only one other station. Obviously, it would have to be something that uh, I feel like would work and that I would um, I would I would enjoy. I'm not going to not going back to a show that I feel like I'd be like, nah, I'd be miserable doing that or no, I don't want to work with. No, like it would have to be something that would make a lot of sense. I'm also right now not desperate for money too, Mike. So in a, in a year, we'll see where we're, we stand with everything. But like right now, I mean, I I I feel like that I feel like that. I've jumped into the deep end and now I have to figure out a way to get out and swim. And there's real desperation that, that is going to be there to do it. And um, we'll see where it takes me. There's a lot of opportunity. You know, it took, yeah. It, it took a lot of balls to do what you did, but it also took a lot of balls to talk about it afterwards. Yep. And you, and you talked about it afterwards. You know, I, I held my tongue for the most part when, uh, that situation as a fanatic happened with me because I, I always taught you know, just, just take the, the high road on this. And I, and I, I took every ounce of strength that I had not, not to say what was really on my mind about that whole situation, but you came out with guns blazing and you talked about how the company was bankrupt and, and all of a sudden it splashed around crossing broad and they come back and take you off the air at CBS radio. Do you regret doing that? Or do you just, thought that that was part of of what you should do i, I don't regret it no um yeah i mean if, if you listen to the and and mike i'm i'm guilty of this as a radio host so i can't be mad when it gets done to me but oftentimes we look at headlines of things and we don't actually pay attention to the context of what's said and we use it because that's what you, you did if you actually listen to what i said on the crossing broad podcast I was explaining why they don't pay individuals on the radio like they once did. And it's because the company was in financial problems. And I guess when you're still working for a company technically, and they're allowing you to work on a national network, you shouldn't be talking about their financials, but they did end up declaring for bankruptcy the following week after I said that. And by the way, right now their stock price, I think is six cents a share. So um, yeah. So I mean, and, and by the way, like, yeah, I, I don't think that they appreciated you announcing that they were in trouble. They did not. I think that's they right. did not. No, and like I had said, I don't. I, I, I mean, should I should I have not said it? Well, I shouldn't be surprised at the reaction that that it got from the company. So, like, I'm not blaming them for anything. I'm the one. I, no, you were honest. Listen, I yes, I, I admire my whole career has been based on honesty and saying what I felt it was on my head, and you did that. And I, you know, I. I think it's a courageous thing to do. And you obviously kind of knew what the ramifications uh, would be. Let me answer the last question I have to ask you, because it's always been, uh, I've always been curious about it. I went out like suddenly, like I, I announced two, two hours into a show that I was leaving. And yep. uh, it like, and I wanted to do it that way. I, I, you know, I had known about some stuff and I said, this is going to be my last day. And they didn't really know what I was going to do. And I announced I'm done. I'm out. And what was your reaction when you heard that? You were on the air, obviously. Yeah, I was disappointed. I was disappointed. I felt like the audience deserved better. I felt like your audience deserved better. And then when I had to 
announced that I was leaving, I wish I, I wish I would have done what you did because it's not easy. It was difficult because you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. Uh, you don't know exactly how to put it if people are going to take you out of context or take you the wrong way. I mean, it's just it, it, the easiest thing would have been would have been to say that, all right, I'm done. This is my last day. I'm done at six o'clock. Uh, thanks for everything. See you. Instead, and, and believe me, Mike, they knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. We decided that we would give it a couple days and that was it. I wasn't announcing it. I didn't want an award tour. I didn't want to, I, I, that's the last thing I wanted. I would have loved to just say, I'm done. See you. But everybody involved felt like the audience deserved kind of a proper send off, a proper goodbye. And that's, I, I felt like your audience deserved more than two hours. Well, I, thank you. Uh, um, and I, here's the footnote to that. Your first book after I left, you gained 13 points. <laughs> well, I mean, so, <laughs> Mike, if you look at the, if you look at the ratings between when you were there and when you stopped working the shift, I think it's pretty clear. You you could tell when you stopped working, if you looked at the numbers, no, um, at, at, at risk of alienating another radio company here, Mike, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that they realized how, how much of a loss that was when, when you stopped working at the Fanatic. Well, here's what they didn't realize. They didn't realize it's a music company uh, and they, they play music. And when you, you don't have the same association, you, you have to realize that in Sports Talk Radio, a host builds a bond with an audience. And I don't think they looked at it like it was just the music station and they could just roll on with anybody. That's the mistake I think they made. Well, I, I know a lot of, a lot of longtime, excuse me, a lot of longtime listeners to, to your show that I knew from when I worked with you and when I was at the station, I noticed they started to get on the phone lines or I talked to a lot of people afterwards that said, really started to listen to you guys after Mike left and I, man, I love your show or whatever. So you, you exiting two to six certainly helped my career. Very much. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, you had forged ahead anyway. So you're in a matter. I, but the extent of the the number shift was was funny to me. And I go, if you're a radio professional, how do you not anticipate that? Like, I'm trying to step outside my body and go, y y come on. <laughs> but anyway, let's not get involved in that. Listen, man, it's great talking to you. Best of luck with the family. And, uh, you know, I was at your wedding, so uh, your wife is a lovely person. I don't think I've met your children. No, you you did actually. Point, but you I did. Meet you your were children? doing a. I, it must have been an, an NCAA uh, the March Madness remote at the Hooters and King of Prussia, because I had I remember I had her I had Gianna in her. She was only four months old. I had her in the I had her in the chair, and it was right. It was right after I left, actually. So she was young, and I uh, kind of came through and I said hi to you. But that's the only time. And so that was the that was the last time, the only time. And you see yeah, it. well, you were busy. You see, three children since uh, since I last saw you. That's that's good work by you, bro. Yeah, yeah. Just that I, right, I, I reset the clock. I'll be sixty two when uh, when my my final daughter graduates from college. So or from high school. Awesome. Three daughters, right? Three daughters, eight, six, and two. And uh, every day is the pickup line at school. So at about three o'clock today, I'll be venturing to uh, the pickup line to get them. Three, three daughters, three weddings. Uh, I just had my daughter. I got married this summer. I saw. Congratulations. So, uh, collect. You know, save, save your penny. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, good talking to you. Thanks, John. Right, John Mark, the great John Marks joining us on the Mike Missinelli Podcast. We'll talk.
It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, it's time for Mike Unleashed. Well, a lot of stuff today on Mike Unleashed. Let's start with the Grammys. You know, I, I don't really care who wins. Most of the time, the categories that I, I like aren't even on the air, and I, I don't really listen to the pop, so I don't know what's going on in the pop music world. But I love the performances. These Grammys was a smash. The performances that I watched on that Grammy, they started out with Dua Lupa. Oh, my God. She burned it down in the first the, the, the first performance of the night. What's, what are you doing? A loop over here? Do a loop. I'm sorry. Do a loop. Do a loop. Do a loop. Burned it down. She's spectacular. And, and Miley Cyrus. Oh, my God. She's hotter than Listen, I don't want to be a chauvinist here or a misogynist, but, you know, women look at men as being hot. Guys look at women. Miley Cyrus is hot. Did you not think that, Darren? She looked good. She's not normally my bag, but she looked good the other night. She looked spectacular. She looked like a young Jane Fonda back in the day. <laughs> How many people listening? All right, but anyway, <laughs> look at all the stuff that happened. Jane Tay-Tay, Fonda. again, take, takes the album of the year and a whole bit. Tay-Tay, Celine Dion, who's got a debilitating disease, comes out and gives the award. Taylor Swift snubbed her. Now, but, like we saw a video like backstage they were hugging but she comes up to get the award you would think that she would embrace celine dion she was so self-absorbed with lana del rey and jack antonoff the producer that she forgot about celine dion that was a violation man that's a big moment her yeah. head might have just gotten away from her that's a big moment yeah maybe, maybe. a little bratty at tay tay <laughs> uh, you know, i've been a fan here but uh all right so now jay-z he comes out. Now, originally, I thought he was ripping Tay-Tay, but he was ripping the Academy because Lady B has never gotten Album of the Year, even though she's won 32 Grammys. So Jay made sure he got his action in there. What did you think of that? I think he was uh, protecting, protecting the homestead there. <laughs> what, 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 is, what is it with these wimps? You know, you know, Will Smith has to go up and defend his lady by smacking Chris Rock. And then Jay-Z with, with Beyonce staring, staring him down has to make some kind of overt move to win points with the wife. What is this? I, I think I poor Taylor Swift. <laughs> I mean, she, she gets dissed. But she gets backhanded dissed so often in the music industry. Like, they didn't really mean to diss yeah. her, but that was a, that was a backhand diss. Yeah, it absolutely was. All right, now, Killer Mike. Now, I'm a fan of Run the Jewels. You probably have no familiarity with Run the Jewels, but Killer Mike is an Atlanta hip-hop legend. He gets carted off of handcuffs for a misdemeanor. Will Smith commits an assault on live TV. He gets to sit in for the rest of the show. They come after Killer Mike, leading him out in handcuffs for a misdemeanor. Violation. Yeah, I mean, your boy Stephen A. Smith made a big deal about it. Like, the, you know, Will Smith does, gets nothing. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, a total... Big- Total violation. And Come Killer on, man. Mike, apparently it was over a security guard asked uh, or told Killer Mike and his crew that they couldn't walk through a specific area. And a scuffle happened. A security guard went down. It was a female. She injured her hand. And a big gonzone was, you know, was made out of it. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I thought it was out I of agree. mind. Yeah, now, the last, uh, the last thing I, I, I have to mention, watching the Grammys. I look at the main floor. Now, this is the main floor where all the, the stars are of the music industry. They're all the performers. Who knows head do I see peep into the frame? Robert Kraft. 
And then I look a little further, and he's with his little buddy, Michael Rubin, former owner of the Sixers, who is the biggest star bleeper in the history of Earth. They're on the main floor. How does that happen? Money. That's how that happens. <laughs> well, Michael Rubin has this these star-studded parties at the Hamptons. That gives him a ticket to be on the main uh, floor hey, with the performing artists. The fanatics, the comp- fanatics company is huge. I mean, it's ridiculous how much money that guy Come has. Come on, man. Come on. There's a lot of huge companies. Did you see their people down there? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just telling you. Ridiculous. This guy buys his not way belong in. on the floor with Robert Kraft. Get your ass in the, in, into the stands. Instead of the main floor. All right, let's move on. The Pro Bowl. I actually liked it, man. It was exciting. The flag football game was exciting. The skills competition was exciting. I think the NFL has finally found the formula where the Pro Bowl weekend is not boring. I liked it. How about you? Uh, would you like the tug of war? What, what were they going to do next? Tic tac toe? They did the tug of war. They did the accuracy passes. They, Stop you know, they, the game I thought was exciting, the flag football game. <laughs> it went down to the last play. Yeah, it was really exciting. I liked it, man. I'm glad you did. I give it a thumbs up. I'm glad you did. Uh, and earlier in the Saturday was the NHL uh, Stars competition. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, Kucherov's act. The, the <laughs> Kucherov uh, took a dive on the, the stick handling passing skills competition. He lollygagged it out. And he got booed. Why would he do something like that? Come on, dude. Hockey player, like they're they're all fighting hard in the skills competition. They're racing around the ice to try to you know, set the, the world land speed record. I see. As Good opposed draw. to the NFL, I do enjoy the skills competition yeah, for like the NHL. All right, let me rip LeBron James. Uh, I, LeBron, I've been an advocate of LeBron for a really long time, but come on, man. Uh, you, you lose games, and then he posts the meme at two thirty in the morning with an hourglass, letting the Lakers know time's running out on me here. And then they beat the New York Knicks in Madison Square Garden. He wears a Knicks towel around his shoulder as he's getting interviewed after the game to send the Lakers a message. Unless you make a couple deals here, I may join the Knicks next year. <laughs> Come on, dude! You're the, you're the second greatest player who ever lived. You need to do stuff like that, like a brat. Stop it! All right. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm's new season. What'd you think, Darren? Uh, not the greatest episode, but I will say he wrote the entire episode for a payoff still shot during the closing credits. That entire mugshot <laughs> where he imitated Trump's mugshot. <laughs> Uh, I thought it, I thought a lot of the things were forced. Yes, I, I was uncomfortable with him arguing with Siri in his car. To be honest with you, like I thought that went on. Too, I too I thought far. the same thing. I th- I feel like that was a played out joke. Like everybody knows, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. All right. Um, I I ter- channel server. That's the last thing I'll talk about on, on uh, uh, Mike Unleashed here on the Mike Masnelli podcast, sponsored by Bet Rivers. My favorite player of all time has been Willie Mays. And I was young enough to see him uh, play, or I'm old enough to see him when I was a young kid. And uh, I'm, I'm stumbling through the thing. I see Studio 42 interview with Willie Mays, Bob Costas, Studio 42 on the baseball network. And uh, the interview was done in 2010. And I'm listening to these just captivating stories that Willie Mays is telling about his career. So I immediately start texting our baseball buddy, Hall of Famer Jason Stark. 
And I go, Jason, you must have seen this Willie Mays interview. It's spectacular. Let me tell you my Willie Mays story. So I go on to tell him on a text how when I was seven years old, I'm at Connie Mack Stadium. My dad took me to the Phillies and Giants game because I was a Willie Mays crazy little fan. And I see this play, and I'm I'm typing it out, Jason. I said, Jason, there was a pickoff play. The ball goes down the right field line. Johnny Callison's in right field. He tracks the ball down. He throws a strike to the plate because Willie Mays is trying to score from first base. And I'm seeing Willie Mays flying around third base, and he's got his spikes up high, and he smashes into the Phillies catcher, who was Pat Corrales, and knocks him cold. And the ball drips out of Pacaralis's glove. And I'm a seven-year-old. I'm looking at it. And my eyes are popping out of my head. So I'm, I'm typing the story after Jason Stark. Son of a gun. Willie Mays tells the story like three seconds after I texted it to Jason Stark. How he, he was proud of it. He goes, yeah, I went in high to Corrales trying to block the paint. I went high. I knocked him out. <laughs> the story's great. It was the greatest. He was the greatest player of all time. The story's great without him telling it, right? There are you. three <laughs> players in the history of baseball that played the game that way. Willie Mays, Junior Griffey, and Roberto Clemente. Nobody attacked the game like those three guys did. And I can't think of another guy who attacked the game. Maybe you throw Pete Rose in there, but these guys were like thoroughbreds, stallions, playing the outfield, Willie Mays in center field, Junior in center field, Clemente with the best arm in the history of baseball, and the way they flash around the bases. Spectacular baseball. And that ends Mike Unleashed today. All right, before we close it down, I have a thought of the day. The thought of the day is this. Do we not have enough variety of apples yet? I mean, I you go to the grocery store, there are eight different varieties of apples. These apple seed people keep experimenting to develop these new apple brands. Engineered apples. Have you noticed that? Engineered apples. They are. That's unbelievable. There's like eight different apples. Now, if, if you're smart, here's the mistake that the grocery stores make. They price the Honeycrisps and the, the, the Twists or whatever uh, at... Three twenty nine a pound. The golden delicious apples are a dollar ninety nine a pound. Now, what person who goes through the self checkout line is not going to put put the honey crisps on the thing, but put the price for the uh, the, the red delicious apples? It's a scam. That's a dishonest person. You got. Well, how many people are going to do that? They're all going to do it. Are you going to pay Probably. full price for honey crisps when you can pay a dollar ninety nine? The machine doesn't know. Well, well, I do, but. So there's two types of apples that we buy in our house, the Honey Crisp and the Granny Smith. So I like the green. There used to be, like the green. There used to like be the two Crisp. kinds of apples, Red Delicious and Granny Smith. That was it. That's it. Yeah. Now there's eight, nine varieties. When Johnny my oldest daughter is in the lab experimenting with crossbreeding. <laughs> right. My oldest daughter was born. I planted a Granny Smith apple tree in my backyard. Did it grow? That's... 14 years ago. It grew. Really? I never got any apples out of it, though. I think the squirrels would eat them. <laughs> <Put> the... <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for the Mike Missnelli Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It was a crazy show. Thanks to John Marks for joining the show. Thanks to Bet Rivers for my bet last night where I took the Dallas Mavericks on the money line and cashed in very easily. Uh, and uh, have a great uh, rest of the week. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you uh, with the Super Bowl coming up. We'll have our special Super Bowl show coming up at the end of the week, right? Yeah, we'll do some uh, we'll do some prop bets. We'll give our picks. I'm not even sure who I like in this game yet. I got a zero in. 
So stay tuned for that podcast later in the week. For Darren and for John Marks, who joined us today, I'm Mike Missanelli. Tell your friends and neighbors you can get in touch with me at Mike at MikeMiss.com and on Twitter, MikeMiss25. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.